The following program is part of the National Committee on U.S.-China Relations China podcast series. For more information on the National Committee, visit us at www.ncuscr.org or connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, or Weibo. This is Steve Orlands, President of the National Committee on U.S.-China Relations, and I have with me today Stephen Roach. Steve is now the Senior Fellow at the Jackson Institute for Global Affairs and School of Management at Yale University. He's better known to many of us as the former chairman of Morgan Stanley Asia and for much of his career the chief economist at Morgan Stanley. He has just come out with a wonderful book which I recommend to all of our listeners which is called Unbalanced, The Codependency of America and China. Steve, welcome. Um, Thank you, Steve. Tell me, I've just finished this book. It's a terrific book. Why did you write it, and why now? I wrote it because I, I think there's a huge misperception about the character of the relationship between these two great nations uh, and the world's two largest economies. For a long time, I, I've been going down to Washington, as, as you do, testifying in front of the U.S. Congress on a variety of issues, and the general view in Washington is that um, China needs America. China needs America as a source of growth. Uh, they need America as a source of stability uh, in the financial system, uh, and um, uh, they're delighted to keep uh, buying our treasuries because they have no choice to do it. And I thought about this long and hard, and I said, you know, there's another side to the story. Uh, China does need America, but the United States needs China just as much, if not more so. China is an enormous uh, supply and source of cheap goods that hard-pressed American consumers need to make ends meet. America doesn't save, and China lends a surplus saving. Uh, And America doesn't have the the domestic wherewithal to fund its massive budget deficits, uh, and uh, China's buying of treasuries Uh, satisfies that end and also subsidizes our interest rates and keeps our financial markets frothy. So I felt strongly that both sides of the story needed to be told, uh, and uh, codependency is really more of a psychological construct that talks about uh, this tough relationship between individuals that usually doesn't end well, and uh, that was the, the purpose of the book, to point out the risks of this codependency if we don't pay greater attention uh, to, to, to our problems at home in the United States rather than worry about China. Yeah. You give this wonderful description or, or narrative of how the COVID dependency was created, how it exists. Talk a little bit about the ways out of this codependency. As you suggest, codependency in psychology is not exactly a healthy relationship. And you no, suggest that's the case here. It's, it's not. And what, what happens in a psychological relationship is that the two partners start to lose their sense of self. Their identities get blurred, uh, and ultimately uh, one or both can turn on each other, lead to frictions, and there, there could be a, a, a tough breakup. The, the, the positive outcome from codependency is that uh, one or two, both of the partners, start to rediscover their sense of self and, and seek new independent identities. And I commend China for doing that by changing the model, moving from an export um, uh, and investment-led economy 
to one that focuses more on internal private consumption. But I worry about America. We don't seem to be willing to change our model. Uh, and I think we are still very convinced that China is going to keep supporting us the way it has over the last 30 years. The opportunity for America is if we change our model, focus more on, uh, say, exports. China is our third largest and most rapidly growing major export market. That's a new source of growth that will help um, uh, our economy regain uh, its pre-crisis momentum and help our labor market. Uh, and so the next China, if you want to call the transformation that's occurring now, is an enormous opportunity for the next America. Rebalancing is the way out of the unbalanced state for both economies. So you're suggesting, or uh, from the book, I took the conclusion that China is on the way to this rebalancing and it is less clear if America is. Absolutely. I think we in the United States need to take as a given that China is going to rebalance. Uh, you can argue about the way in which they'll do it, how long it's going to take, but they're doing it. That's what the 12 five-year plan was all about. That's what the third plenum of the 18th Party Congress is all about. That's what the rapid growth in the Chinese services sector is all about right now. That's what the recent reforms that are aimed at uh, providing support to the social safety net are all about. China is going to rebalance. And when they rebalance, uh, they're going to have less saving to lend us, less of an appetite to buy our treasuries. Uh, and if we don't change our way of doing things, we're going to be in trouble because we're, we're going to keep relying mistakenly on China to support us at a time when they're going to support themselves. Now, you have somewhat answered my next question, which is this book was written after the 12 five-year plan, but before the third plenum. Yes. Does the third plenum change in any way, shape, or form the way you're thinking about this, or just reinforce it? It really reinforces it, Steve. I think um, the 12 five-year plan, um, in retrospect, was more of a framework than a blueprint, um, you know, an, an action plan. Uh, and uh, there was some progress that occurred since the enactment of the 12 five-year plan in March of 2011, especially um, in uh, beginning to grow more rapidly in the services economy, also in continuing the urbanization push, which raises uh, incomes. But what was always missing in the 12th five-year plan was a solid commitment uh, to address these safety net issues and some of the social norms that needed to be changed uh, uh, to, to give Chinese families a more confidence about uh, the future. The third plenum really addresses those, many of those concerns head on with the one-child policy, the hukou reform, uh, the likelihood of uh, interest rate liberalization on savings deposits, and finally, the tax on state-owned enterprises of 30% to fund um, health care, Social Security, and the safety net. These are very encouraging developments. I'm not an economist, as are most of our listeners are not economists. I don't understand, as China restructures, it rebalances, its current account surplus will reduce, its accumulation of reserves will probably stop. And you suggest the problem that that creates is it will reduce their ability to purchase U.S. treasuries and keep our interest rates down. What I've always thought is as they do that, our surplus, our deficit will decrease. That is, China rebalances, we will export more. 
and we will decrease. Therefore, uh, I mean, our, our deficit will decrease. Therefore, we have a lesser need to purchase to sell Chinese, uh, to tell the Chinese it, it's, it's possible, but the, the, the way I measure this is I look at the overall uh, national savings rate of the United States, and by this I mean the combined saving of uh, individuals, the business sector, uh, and uh, the government sector combined. Uh, right now, our, our national savings rate adjusted for depreciation is about 2%. Uh, the 35-year long-term average is about 6.5%. So it's improved. It used to be negative, which was terrible. But we're still uh, four percentage points below the historic norm. If we don't get our savings back up to anything closer uh, to its historic norms, we're still going to need external savings from abroad and some country, whether it's China or Japan or Germany, uh, to lend us the money. But as China... Uh, moves from being a surplus saver to uh, a nation that absorbs uh, its saving to fund economic growth, that means somebody else is going to have to step up to take its place. And, you know, it's, it's, it's hard for me to figure out who that might be. Yeah. Well, hopefully it will be the American people. That would be wonderful. But most of America's debt is owned by the American people and American institutions. But we don't save it's as only a on the It's only on the margins that the foreigners are owners of our of our debt well the Chinese own about 16 percent of our total um, uh, national debt and, and that, that's you know is not six, it's 16 if you I add it was 1.2 trillion well it's 1.2 trillion uh, 1.3 trillion in treasuries but another 700 billion in agency debt of Fannie Mae uh, and Freddie Mac so it's about uh, uh, two trillion uh, US dollars 17 trillion roughly exactly the so there it's it's not a trivial uh, number, but the the bottom line is, we don't save as a nation. Right. Saving is not in our DNA, uh, and that is not a recipe for sustainable economic growth for any country. How are we going to rebuild our competitiveness if we don't have the saving to invest in our people, our infrastructure, build new manufacturing capacity? Mm-hmm. Where where are we going to get the money from? How does energy play into this? In other words, if you look at our the last, let's say, 12, 15 years of our, of our trade deficit, um, probably 40% of it was based upon the import of energy. When I look out five, seven years, that is going to roughly go to close to zero. So that means that 40% of our trade deficit has effectively disappeared. How does that figure into this whole calculus? You know, America's a, you know, a, an innovative, flexible economy, and, and certainly this um, surge of um, uh, new source supplies of natural gas driven by the, the fracking technology is, is a very encouraging uh, development. Uh, and I, I think that, you know, that, that will be... Uh, you know, an important um, uh, source of um, growth that we have not had in, in, in the past. But will it be enough to make a difference for the American worker, for the American labor market? It, it's, it's hard to argue. That. I mean, fracking is a capital-intensive uh, activity. The job creation that comes from that uh, is not nearly uh, large enough to offset that which we're missing uh, right now, 
And again, I go back to the savings investment conundrum in America. If we don't save uh, and if we narrow our deficit, say, in, in, in energy, uh, it'll probably widen out in other areas to offset right. that, and that would uh, really uh, undermine uh, the potential that might come from this new energy independence. But simultaneously, we have China becoming the world's largest energy importer, right. which will also, while they're re- rebalancing the economy and their current account surplus would be expected to decrease, you have this enormous increase in energy imports. You obviously, you have to attribute some price to energy imports, and I don't think we could agree on that right now. But doesn't that kind of put the two economies on different trajectories? If China's got to address its, its um, voracious appetite for a whole range of natural resources, but but you know especially uh, in the energy and you know in in the the mix of its supply of fuel being so dependent on on coal and given the the enormous carbon footprint of coal and what this does to the environment uh, as well. Uh, you know, this is a big burning issue uh, in, in in China. They're aggressively moving into alternative sources uh, of fuel, but and, and they're you know they're growing rapidly in areas like wind and solar and, and nuclear, but they're coming off a small base. Uh, and one of the things that I think they can do that's most important in uh, addressing this energy issue, uh, again, is to change the structure of the economy from manufacturing to services where the carbon footprint uh, is intrinsically a good deal lower. And as the service economy now uh, expands, and, and last year was a big year for that, where the services sector is finally larger than manufacturing and construction combined, that's sort of a, an organic way of addressing uh, energy. But there's a lot more that needs to be done. One final question. What, what's your hope for the impact of this book? My hope is to really uh, crystallize more clearly the debate uh, on um, the U.S.-China economic relationship, why it's important, where this codependency came from, where codependency can be a serious risk if it's not uh, addressed um, uh, with some sense of urgency, and where the solution to codependency, the rebalancing of both economies, can present enormous opportunities for both nations. So I end on an optimistic note uh, where the rebalancing uh, is an opportunity, but I caution if the uh, one or both economies don't rebalance, then codependency will go the way the psychologists prescribe it. It'll be a destructive relationship. I want to thank Steve Roach for joining me today in this podcast. His book, Unbalanced, The Codependency of America and China, is a must-read for those interested in the U.S.-China economic relationship. It's both his description of the history of that relationship and his hope for what we should do going forward is absolutely something you all need to read. Steve, thank you very much for being with us. Thank you, Steve.